Texas Theo 92.3 Beat Caller. What would you like to hear? Uh, long time, first time. Can I get uh Hello and welcome to Pop Culture Hangfire with Christian and Gabriel? The podcast where we revisit 1980s year by year and learn about what happened and learn about pop culture and then sometimes people hang out with us and talk about it. The year, 1984, Prince's Purple Rain album spent 24 consecutive weeks at number one on the Billboard 200 and more than 32 weeks in the top 10. Papa John's Pizza, American Pizza Restaurant franchise started. The crime drama, Miami Vice debuted in NBC on NBC. Favorite holiday gifts were Cabbage Patch Kids, Tribute Pursuit, Transformer action figures, and Tetris, available on Commodore 64 and IBM PC, perhaps one of the most popular video games of all time. Speaking of which, I just saw a trailer for a movie called Tetris. But it's not it's not the game Tetris move the movie. It's how the Tetris game came to be. Apparently some uh-huh. Russian some Russian uh, built uh created it or something. I don't know about that. Huh. Uh so today we have a special guest, somebody who twice I have messed up and not been able to get him on the podcast. All my fault, obviously. But somebody that is as passionate about quoting movies and making Quoting movies and and just all around fun guy, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, Ray. I don't want to give your full name. I don't want people to find you to find you. I know you still got that stuff from uh, Shanghai. Yeah, I mean, we just finally got settled over here in witness protection. I don't want to get uprooted. I like my job right now. Remind me to do the uh, the voice altering so he sounds like. You know... <laughs> On many occasions, I witnessed. Uh... <laughs> Yes, that's the one. Hey Ray, guys, Ray, thanks Happy for to be here. Thanks for thanks for being here, man. And again, I apologize for the th- two times that I tried to get you on here and I messed it up. But it is serendipitous that you're here, sir, because there are certain movies in this episode that you actually introduced me to. So I sound like a cool guy because you made me sound cool. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. It happens that way sometimes, but you're welcome. You're welcome. All right, so <laughs> let, let's start off with some births. Let's get these births out of the way. Let's get these babies out of the way. Uh, Mandy Moore, American singer, songwriter, and actress. Uh, I think I know her from certain movies and TV shows, but she was born in 84. Anybody got anything on Mandy Moore? Not off the top of my head. I, familiar. I know. Okay. Patrick Stump. American musician and singer-songwriter, Fall Out Boy. That's the only reason why I brought him up, because Fall Out Boy is an amazing band, and they have been, and I saw them live. So Patrick Stump, born 1984. He is American actor and, produ- and producer, Paul Dano. Paul Dano, you might remember from such films as Little Miss Sunshine, There Will Be Blood, and um, as the Finnish Wikipedia says, The Guesser from The Batman. <laughs> He do be guessing. He does keep you guessing. 
And then last but not least, uh, a person that has really rose up the ranks recently with their films, uh, John David Washington. John David Washington, you'll know from Tenet, from Black Klansman, it really uh, from Am the movie Amsterdam currently. Really great actor and, you know, son of uh, Denzel Washington, so part of the Nepo babies. Although I feel like he's actually a good actor, so I don't think he's part of the Nepos. Moving I don't on. think they're mutually exclusive. I think you can be both. A good actor and a Nepo baby? Yeah. Oh, yeah? Name another one. No, I mean, I, I, I couldn't even name uh, another random Nepo baby off the top of my head to begin with, but I, I'm not going to exclude them from being. Well, technically, Angelina Jolie, right? Her father being John Voight. Yeah, weren't some of the... Uh... Uh, weren't some of our biggest actors currently? <laughs> I mean, there is George Clooney, Nepo Baby. Okay. Uh, the Bridges, right? Uh, Lloyd Bridges and Jeff Bridges. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, Lloyd is the father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeff is the son. Who else? Off the top, anybody know any Nepo Babies off the top of their heads? Famous ones, though, that are old now. Nepo Fogies. Uh, going into death, we only have one, but it's a big one. And I'd be curious to know uh, what you guys know about him. Andy Kaufman. Besides the uh, fabulous film with Jim Carrey, who portrayed him in The Man on the Moon. Either of you familiar with Andy's work at all? No. I recognize the name. Okay. So he was... Um, now, he, he did not like to call himself a comedian. He, he preferred uh, addressing it as a... Performer, performer of art comedy because he used to do a lot of not necessarily stand-up or jokes but he would just kind of create situations right one of the one of those characters that he created that that he would just uh dive deep into and, be, and like basically embody is who the who he ended up playing on the show taxi for five years i want to say but then like oh, yeah. uh uh, during the Letterman interview, he got into this other character where he challenged Jerry the King Lawler at the time, and they got into like a full-on uh, rivalry that ended up with with Andrew Co uh, Andy Kaufman in a ring. And the thing about his his pranks is that he didn't let anybody in on them. So I think Jerry the King Lawler, ten years later, admitted, "Oh yeah, that was all scripted. Like it was his idea, and we did it for fun." But for ten years, people really thought that that had happened, you know. Um, so the dude was just, um, uh, notorious for, for planning pranks and elaborate, elaborate ruses, uh, which to this day, apparently people think that his greatest ruse was dying at 35 years old <laughs> by faking that, his own That death. is a good prank. <laughs> but yeah, apparently he died of lung cancer, uh, at the age of 35. Isn't that crazy? That's, that's... How much did he smoke? Is the question. You know, that's a good question because I don't remember them bringing that up during the movie at all. But no, if you haven't seen the movie with Jim Carrey, he does uh, a ridiculous, uh, amazing job in that performance. I have not seen that. Really? <coughs> it's the whole premise of the show. But yes. Oh, that's true. That is. What about you, Ray? <laughs> have you seen the Have you seen the Man on the Moon with uh, Jim Carrey? No, no. I I, I want to say. I was working at Universal at the time it came out. I had a part-time job. I don't remember. But I know of the movie. I just It really just didn't catch me at the time. All right. 
Okay, now that we've gotten the bad stuff out of the way, okay, the not so fun part. We're going to go into movies that came out in 1984. And Ray, this is why you're here, sir. You, so Ray and I, for a little background, Ray and I used to work loss prevention together back in a back in a store that used to be called Macy's, that eventually got bought out by Robinson's May, right? And then eventually, what did happen? No, to no, that the store? other way around. Oh, the other way. The other way. It was Robinson's May, and I got bought out by Macy's. So wait, was it Robin? It was Robinson's May when we were there, right? Yeah. And then it got out by Macy's. Yeah, that's when we left. So Ray and I were a team. That we were part of a team of four. We had one supervisor and three loss prevention officers. We used to call ourselves. I think the company called us that. And our job was to arrest shoplifters. So we could we wore whatever we wanted, and we just walked around the store, or we manned the cameras, and then when we saw somebody. Um, steal, and we followed all the five rules that they asked us to, which was we had to see them come into the store, we had to see them pick up the item, we had to see them conceal the item, and then leave the store with the intent to not pay. We captured all those yeah. things. We never went after anybody unless we captured all those things. And then we would go outside and we would... Oh, and then the fifth one was you had to catch them within 20 feet of the entrance, right? Yeah, yeah, they couldn't get too far. You couldn't pick them up at their house later on. Or a block or two away, or maybe if they made a run for yeah. it, you couldn't chase them for a block or three. Um, definitely don't hold any grudges, none of that stuff. So we followed all the rules the way we were supposed to because we were exceptional loss prevention officers. Not once did we have a bad case together. I think we had individual bad cases, but never together. And... um and that's how we met, and we got along through the love of music and movies. Music, specifically uh, Freebird. I think Freebird always brought us closer together. And movies, this is the man that I watched uh, Super Troopers over a dozen times within a year. Ron Burgundy. Just the guy that was willing to sit with me for three hours or four hours I mean, I don't know how he did it, but he, you know, he would sit with me, he would drink with me and just put up with me for hours at a time. And once we got into that, he introduced me to two films that to this day I hold so dear to my heart that there there isn't a, a month that I don't think of these films. Two, but we're going to talk about three because the, the, the third one, we even both, both of us were like, nah, we can't go there. So the first one is Beat Street. The second one is Breaking. And the third one is Breaking Two, Electric Boogaloo. Uh, Ray, yeah. tell me, yes. tell me about how you found Beat Street and why you decided to share that with me. Oh man! So going back to when I was I was young, my older cousins and uncles were into breakdancing. So in '84, when I was young, I was what five years old, maybe. Watching them watch the movie, breakdance in the garage, laying out the cardboard or the linoleum and things like that. I slowly got into it and I always just referred back to that movie for pointers and I just thought it was like a cool, you know, a cool thing to, to be at the time, you know, a break dancer doing all this, everyone watching, you know, they mixed it in with the, you know, graffiti artists and all that and I liked to draw at the time so it kind of just had this whole mixture of things I liked, you know, and uh, same thing with uh, Breaking and Breaking 2 Electric Boogaloo. It just had a you know, all the things that I liked. So I stayed with it and it wound up becoming like this, like you say, this pop culture and reference. You see this, you see that movie. And it's like, oh yeah, that's old school. 
you know so yeah that's how i got into it now um beat street and breaking though they both do they both have the exactly what you said the the um the hip-hop culture right the break dancing the djing the graffiti but breaking though was because i think that they consider beat street a drama while breaking is a musical technically right yeah that i i could see that because in beat street right uh, you follow you follow this group of uh two brothers one's a dj and one's like the, the younger brother that wants to be like his older brother and their friends. One happens to be a graffiti artist and the other one is, um, what's the other one? Is he a producer or, or a beat maker? Right? Yeah. 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 I guess like a producer. You yeah. want him to make music. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and you just follow their story. Right. And in between they happen to have, you know, break dancing, uh, altercations. <laughs> Beefs? That was the only way to settle settle the beefs back then. <laughs> uh, now, while well, breaking was, you had this, you had this 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 girl who happened to no, she was a classically trained ballet dancer, right? Yeah. Who who yeah. um who is in Venice, California, and runs into these street dancers and befriends them and then like wants to be part of the crew when they need a female in their in their team now uh ray i'm gonna put you on the spot can you give me the name of the girl and the name of the two leads and then for extra Ooh. bonus points who was the rival i can't give you the girl's name <laughs> <laughs> uh but you had a uh, turbo and ozone turbo and ozone <laughs> those those were the guys. Special K. Yeah. Special K was her was her nickname. Ah. Uh. So so yeah. So the three of them turn into this little dance troupe, and they go and defeat Electro Electro Vox. I think was the bad guy's name or the rival. Not a bad guy, but the rival. And uh, and yeah. So they they become a group, and you know she deals with having to tell her friends and her people that she's now part of a break dancing crew with the, you know, with the. With uh, and she's slumming it by hanging out with these types of people, you know, you know the guys who wear midriffs, uh, tank tops, and fedoras. Those people. Those people. So that's what happens right now. Despite receiving negative reviews from critics, okay, Gabe. Despite all this, a theatrical sequel to Breaking Breaking Two: Electric Boogaloo was released later in the same year, within five to six months later. I feel like that's why it was released because it needed to be right it was already done <laughs> um break into electric boogaloo we follow the same three main characters again from breaking right special k turbo and ozone now here though they have to stop the demolition of a community recreation center by a developer who wants to turn the rec center into a shopping mall not surprising like its predecessor Breaking Two, Electric Boogaloo, received mostly negative reviews from critics. Critics who are obviously non-dancers. Non-dancing yeah. critics, exactly. Yeah, they were um, popper locking. There was no popper or locking. But yeah, no, these movies. Again, look, I, Ray, would you say that a certain type of person should watch this movie, or that everybody should watch this movie? I think everybody should. But, uh, 
It would open up doors to problem solving in different ways. <laughs> you know. Wait, are you saying we should bring back the art of uh, uh, dance battles? I mean, I think everybody knows it. They're just afraid to say it at this day and age. It, it just, we need to do it now. That's what the world needs, I think. Just old school dance battle. I mean, just think of the exercise benefits. Everyone's going to benefit from it. Now, a question for you, though. Do you think that the people who don't want to dance battle would then not go outside? Because, I, I mean, as, as we've streamed from these movies, Gabe, you don't understand. You could be walking anywhere, and somebody could just straight up, you know, instigate a dance battle. And you, you It's like the Wild West. It was. It really was. You had to be, like, limber at all times. Because I saw one. I saw one once underneath a freeway bridge. Okay. And they were it was a it was seven on seven and they were going hard. One of the, one of them was one of them was was packing a boombox. Because you can't have it without the music. That's the other part. No, that's the other difficult part. It, you and then this is how gangs are formed. I'm sorry, uh, Ray, but I gotta disagree with you. In order for you to be able to successfully manage your way through this post-apocalyptic world that you're suggesting, you would have we would have to be a troop. The three of us would have to actually do this because one of us will be responsible for carrying the boombox and having the music ready in order for us to be able to challenge somebody or to be able to defend ourselves against a challenge. And then the other two would have to like consistently, you know, keep up to date with the moves and everything like that. I mean, fashion, I just feel like, I just feel like we're asking a lot from people by saying that, that potentially we should bring these back. That's all I'm saying. Well, all I got to say is who's going to protect the rec centers. Yeah. I mean, he makes, about that. you make a good point. Can you imagine if that had been January 6th? It was just a big dance-off. Dude, that... No, but I think that still would have been dangerous, though. <laughs> imagine. They, they would have had... They would have had indicators that that day was coming. They would have seen an increase in, like, you know... Adidas. BK Knights. You know, Adidas. <laughs> gazelles. You know, windbreakers. Preparing. Lino- were preparing. Linoleum would have skyrocketed, you know? Dude, I mean, oh, like... Who's buying these boomboxes? If somebody starts producing mixed tapes, tapes, okay, the actual tapes, yep. And you know, I there mean, would have been indicators. I, I mean, but yeah, no, no, uh, yeah. So this is like I can't look. These are fun movies to watch. Now I feel like, uh, and I, I might, you know, nineteen eighty five, eighty six. I was listening to a lot of gangster rap. Breakdancing was not in my in my neighborhood, Ray. I know you were in what Whittier, Riverside, wherever the hell you were. Wait, actually, Pico Rivera. Pico Rivera. Okay, so Pico Rivera, South LA, and then we got Riverside over here. Okay, three very distinct places. Um, but yeah, no, my neighborhoods were not we're not we're not uh, talking about breakdancing. We were we were still talking about NWA and stuff, and they were not that music was not dance music. Um, yeah, I, I could see that. Moving on to the next film, another classic that probably, let me just say, Police Academy. Have you guys seen Police Academy? Yes. Yes. So you know it's the story of uh, recruits in their police boot camp, right? <laughs> Starring Steve Gutenberg, the Goots, Kim Cattrall, famous for uh, Sex in the City, and J.G. Bailey. What do you think the budget of Police Academy was, both of you? Oh man, the first one. 
Well, so, you think about that. To this day, it is the most successful in the series. Just so you both know. But if you had to guess, I mean, how much do you think it costs? That, make- that can be a surprise, though. I don't know. I would say back then, let's say half a mil. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was gonna guess like twenty million. <laughs> <laughs> There's a but, big gap between those two. There's a slight gap just, in our... <laughs> You go high, I go low. <laughs> we got him. <laughs> okay, let's try four point five million. <laughs> Okay, so it's right in the middle, basically. Yeah, I feel like half. Well, I got the I got the point five right. So I think I was that was there. I think that was just Goot's uh, Goot's uh, payroll there. You know, all right. If I told you this was the sixth highest grossing film of 1984, how much do you think this movie made with that 4.5? We had a lot of we had a lot of big movies that year. But scale it down to number six. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm saying the bar got set real high, but. I mean, the, the was, it was a ridiculous bar. Right? Four, five. Let's go the sixth highest. We, we, what was the highest one that we got? I think it was Beverly Hills. Year? I think it was like 240 for Beverly Hills Cop, I think. Okay. I want to say. Let's, yeah. sixth highest. Let's just, let's just go to 100 million. 100 million? I'll go with his first assessment of 20 million. <laughs> I think the numbers are are reversed. I'm not uh I'm not putting inflation on these uh, uh Ray, just so you know. Oh put my abacus away. <laughs> Hundred and forty nine million for Police Academy one, by the way. That's a good return on investment there. Right? Uh good enough that it spawned six sequels, by the way. I think the last one was Police Academy Mission to Moscow or something. Wow. Yeah, in the 90s, where I think we still had a... Before we took that 20-year break, before then Russia became a bad guy again. Um, moving on to... Have either of you seen Red Dawn? I I don't think I've seen it its entirety. I've definitely seen parts of it, though. Now, hang on, though. The original. We're talking 1984. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the Chris Hemsworth 2000... No, no, no. I haven't seen any of that one. Ah. I haven't seen the new one at all. Uh, Ray, Red Dawn. Yes. Of course. Directed by John Milius. Uh, screenplay by him and also Kevin Reynolds. John Milius, you will know because he goes on to f- to direct and produce uh, the first two Dirty Harry films. Um, he got an Academy Award nomination for screenwriter for Ac- Apocalypse Now. Uh, Conan the Barbarian and uh, Red Dawn. Now... Red Dawn is this is actually kind of cool because it depicts uh, like a World War Three in an alternate 1980s, right? And in this 1980s, um, NATO gets broken up, and there's an there's a alliance between the Soviet Union and Latin American states. And they decide to take over this little town and invade, basically, the United States. And the story is about the um, the high school kids that decide to turn into rebels and fight back the, the Russians. Um, it stars Patrick Swayze, Charlie Sheen, C. Thomas Howe, Leah Thompson, Jennifer Grey, and a couple other people. Fun fact, Gabe. This one's actually a fun fact for you. 
The operation to capture uh, Saddam Hussein was named Operation Red Dawn. <laughs> and its targets were dubbed Wolverine 1 and Wolverine 2. <laughs> Which is the name of the the uh, the Red Dawn team, the Rebels? They call themselves the Wolverines as the as the gorillas. Ah, uh, the U.S. military always goofing. <laughs> <laughs> Who says you can't have fun in war? Those goofs. <laughs> those goofs. Um. So the the remake, right? The remake had Chris Hemsworth and a bunch of other people. But they updated it, and it was North Korea <laughs> who attacked a small town and began the invasion for World War III. And an even less plausible scenario. <laughs> you know, that is funny. In the times that we are now, I, I, you could make the re-remake of Redon. And actually, you could do the sequel to the original 1984 Redon and, and it would still be the Russians. Yep. Um, then to a film that I... I I, it's more about the director writer and less about the film itself, but it's still a pretty, pretty enormous film for the eighties. Have either of you seen Sixteen Candles? No. Pieces, but don't remember it too well. Not all sixteen. How many of the Sixteen Candles? <laughs> yeah. I've maybe. <laughs> yeah. Maybe just I don't remember it being that sweet, but I remember the candles. <laughs> So, a coming-of-age comedy film starring Molly Ringwald, written and directed by John Hughes. And this is why I say, like, the movie itself is not the big one. It's John Hughes, because this is his directorial debut. And he will go on to direct... What what does he go on to direct? Um, He went on to direct and write National Lampoon's Vacation, Mr. Mom, which we talked about. Uh, Weird Science, The Breakfast Club, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Pretty in Pink, Some Kind of Wonderful, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, She's Having a Baby, The Great Outdoors, Uncle Buck, Home Alone, Dutch, Beethoven, Dennis the Menace, and Baby's Day Out. Right? Dude was prolific. That alone, look, Weird Science is awesome. Breakfast Club is awesome. Ferris Bueller's Day Off is awesome. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, dude. Steve Martin and John Candy. Um... The Great Outdoors, Uncle Buck with John Candy again, Home Alone. I mean, these films. Got some bangers in there. Right? Um, $6 million budget went on to make $23 million. And basically, this was also Molly Ringwald's like, uh, big film that made her famous. Um, yeah, no, no. Again, the movie itself, uh, not great. No, okay, not okay, let me take that back. The movie itself, not, not like, you know, anything amazing. Uh, somewhat racist. A little date rapey. But, you know, it was funny at the times, right? So it was fine to have that. But but it, what, it, what it creates, though, it gives John Hughes the opportunity to then become the guy that does all these films, you know? That springboard to success. Uh, and then speaking of movies that maybe aren't great, but they have a place in history, have either of you seen Revenge of the Nerds? No. No? Well, Gabe, this movie is... It is a group of quote unquote nerds, you know, with the pocket protectors, you know, calculators, smart, um, that go to this college and they try to blend to, to, you know, to be part of the school, but they're being consistently harassed by a jock fraternity and then they have to fight back like you do. Um, by dancing, I assume. 
No, no, no. They, oh, no. they use their smarts. They use their brains, Gabe. Yeah. They don't have to use oh, their bodies. This isn't the 80s at all. They don't have to use their bodies. But there is a scene where one of the nerds, it's a Halloween party, and one of the nerds switches costume with the with the main jock's costume and then impersonates him to have sex with his girlfriend. You know, like you do. Pretty good revenge. <laughs> of a nerd. I think he was dressed like Darth Vader, too, just so, to add a little bit of flair for you, Gabe, since you're wearing the Star Wars shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, a movie you probably couldn't do again, but they did get three movies out of it. Revenge of the... Actually, three sequels, so four total. I think Damn. in the last one, they go to Cancun or something. Those revenge, those nerds just can't stop getting revenge. <laughs> <laughs> but there is there is an audio clip. There is an audio At what clip. point do the nerds become the aggressor? And it's no longer a comeback, but they're just they're just abusing people. Uh, by the like end the of third the third movie, maybe no. By the, the end of third the third movie, the, by the end of the first movie, they're already oh, the aggressors. Geez. Yeah, this might uh, ring a bell for somebody here. Wait, you don't hear it? No. Oh, it's probably because I'm actually... Um... There's no audio. Because I was all enjoying this. Okay, now something's not <laughs> happening. Oh, wait. Uh, am I... I was all like, man, we're grooving, right, guys? And nope. Nothing. So twice... You're the only one grooving. Twice. Yeah, once I, I saw your... Once I saw your smile getting bigger, I was like, oh, no, I'm missing something. <laughs> How about now? Yes. Everybody clap your hand. We lambda, 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 and Omega Moon. And we've come here on stage tonight to do our show for you. We got a rockin' rhythm and a high-tech sound that'll make you move your body down to the ground. We got Poindexter on the violin, and Lewis and Gilbert will be joining in. We got Booga Presley on the main guitar, and a rap by Little Old Me Lamar. We got... And uh, Little Old Rap by... Yeah. Oh, man. That's... Uh, that was, I think, the best. That's the only thing I remember from that movie. Plus that that jock yelling, <laughs> nerds. <laughs> That's the only two things I remember from that movie. <laughs> Especially that line and that rap by little old me, Lamar. That's it. That <laughs> uh, movie. Yeah, no, you don't have to watch it. It's, it was fun, though. It was fun at the time. The last movie we're going to talk about is a movie called, and this is a stretch for anybody who might know it, The Toxic Avenger. Does this ring a bell at all? 
All right, so Toxic Avenger is a black comedy about a superhero from a company called what is the name of the company? Um, Trauma, Trauma uh, Productions. They would make these really low budget, like a Roger Corman style films, but they would do, man, it was like a low budget, campy, splatter, like gruesome violence, but fun in a way, you know. And and this was, this was a superhero because it was a kid. It was a nerd. Speaking of nerds, because you know nerds were very popular in the eighties, but. He was a nerd that got pushed into um, the, the well. So the city of trauma was just a terrible place to live, by the way. Just, just it's, toxic. A, bad, it's a bad name to start with. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Toxic chemicals everywhere. So anyway, this kid gets thrown into this toxic chemical and then turns into this just hideous looking thing that then becomes a hero called the Toxic Avenger because he he was created out of, out of toxic chemical waste. And he has a mop and a bucket because he was a janitor at the school before he got thrown into the toxic chemicals. Yeah, no, just a very low budget, like I said, campy uh, film. You wouldn't believe this, but basically ignored by everyone when it first got released because it was it was just not great. What? But yeah, but it became uh, by by within a year or two became very popular in the underground scene and potentially now is regarded as a cult classic. I got into this because there was a cartoon show that called the toxic Avengers in the 1990s. And then I had to go back and be like, where does this come from? And it was from a movie. Actually, I think it was three films in the eighties, toxic Avengers. Then it became a musical. Then it was actually a video game. And then it was an, a, a cartoon show. So I caught it at the end as a cartoon show and then went back and watched the originals. And wow. Oh, I remember now. He also wears a, a pink tutu, like a ballet tutu. So that's just what janitors wore back then? Yeah. Yeah. But he's all buff and stuff. He just, he just looks hideous, like bulging, one ginormous eye bulging out. There is no reason for this to be a thing, but it was. And it made sense, Gabe, in the 90s. And early 80s apparently did you wait so uh, ray you watched the movie or the cartoon or where what the musical yeah i remember watching the remember i had tickets for my birthday for the musical so no no i remember watching the the uh, original movie uh i think i actually saw it at my my grandpa's house when i was over there May have been on Laserdisc, <laughs> to be honest. You really think they made Toxic Avengers a Laserdisc? <laughs> that sounds like a big well, investment. <laughs> Laserdisc was the thing back then. Yeah, I missed Laserdiscs. And um, and I didn't have a cool grandpa that had a technology and stuff. Like, apparently both of you did. <laughs> so, first appearances. Uh, we have Corey Haim. Came out in his first movie, 1984. Corey Haim will go on to uh, meet Corey Feldman and become the two Corys that then go on to make uh, The Lost Boys, which is, you know, some uh, an instant classic that we'll talk about in a few years. Then you got Lou Diamond Phillips, Chavez Chavez from the um, Young Guns uh, film franchise, as well as everything else he's done. He's also an amazing 
actor, uh, Stand and Deliver, where he plays a Latino uh, cholo. Tim Roth uh, makes his, uh, his debut appearance. We'll later see Tim Roth in a ton of uh, Quentin Tarantino films. Charlie Sheen, he makes his debut in the movie Red Dawn. Yeah. Look at that. And it was all uphill from there for Charlie. It was. And though we should have talked about him in episode one, Damon Wayans makes his first appearance in Beverly Hills Cop. Because, <laughs> you know, that's how we connect things. The through line. Yeah. So, Ray, something old, something new. What are you currently watching? What would you share with the 10 or 12 listeners that we have that uh, they should watch because it's good? Or a movie, TV show, podcast, anything pop culture related that you're currently into now. That's, uh, that's something you would recommend. All right, pass next one. <laughs> you got me on a stumper there. Let me see. Wait, so uh, long-time listener, right? First-time caller? <laughs> I love your stuff. Um... <laughs> Let me guess. You only listen to Gabe's episodes, and we never get some to, to something old, something new, because Gabe shares so much information. So you, you, didn't, much. you didn't know about this section. Um... I like that though. I think I mean, I, I think we should it, it, we, sh- we should do that pass next <laughs> once in a while. It's a good one. We might actually steal that. <laughs> let me let me give you some time to think. Gabe, what have you got? What do you got for something old, something new? I gotta say, all I did was work extra this week. Jesus I got nothing Christ. new that happened. You responsible guy. I didn't even adults. I didn't even finish Bloodsport yet. I still have like a third of that movie to go. Weren't you two thirds in already? Yeah, I didn't finish it because I just worked extra. Jesus. How did you how do you walk away from watching Bloodsport? That's like it's gripping from like the title. I mimic I learned kickboxing watching that movie. Um <laughs> that I think you're thinking of kickboxer. <laughs> <laughs> Bloodsport had the kickboxing in it too, right? But that was from, underground fighting. Yeah, but not from Van Damme though. He's the guy we follow. Remember? Yeah, there was like a kickboxer. kickboxer. I like that kickboxer guy. <laughs> you specifically the reason... remember the guy that lost? I liked him. The guy who didn't make so, it to like the middle of the competition. <laughs> I was actually watching something on that kickboxer guy, and that's why I bring him up because he was like some, like he was some good fighter in there. Forgot what it was about. I drink a lot. I apologize. (laughs) But you learned your kickboxing from the the ten minutes he was in that film. It was a uh, it was a condensed course. Yeah, I stopped once I learned the dim mock, and then after that. Done. Oh fuck. Uh yeah, I was telling Gabe, um Bloodsport is great, but um but because Bloodsport has the the splits, right? That's the one that where he, he's like between On the, the chair. Two. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So that's that's the thing. Then you need to watch Kickboxer for the dance scene. And I imagine we're gonna get <laughs> we're gonna get to take Kickboxer in the eighties, so I'm not gonna spoil it by playing that scene for you. But Last week, uh, Ray, we I showed um, I got antsy and I had to show uh, Gabe the debut of Van Damme in the first five minutes of uh, Breaking, where they're on the Venice boardwalk 
And he's just in the background, just jamming along as these guys battle uh, yes. and do their thing. <laughs> so I, uh, so that's just a preview of what he's going to end up doing in Kickboxer. He actually might be wearing the same leotard, except with like slacks on, by the way. Pleated imagine slacks. Imagine that outfit he was wearing, but he put on slacks. He was like, you know what? We got to class it up a little bit. We're just, not serious enough. Just putting it out there. That's what he wears in Kickboxer. I just realized because the tank top is has these really, really thin spaghetti straps for a man. That's just because he's so buff. It makes the straps look smaller. I mean, they're he, full. They're full width. <laughs> <laughs> they don't call them the muscles for Brussels for any for no reason. <laughs> it's a trick of the eye. But yeah, that's a movie you're gonna have to watch after Bloodsport. You have to watch Kickboxer. All right, I'm excited. So neither of you have uh, something old, something new for a for our something old, something new section. Got it. No. I will say it's all, it's all to you. I will say thanks to you, Gabe. I, I am officially, I think, four or five episodes in on Kunk on Earth. So good. Very funny. Very very funny. And uh, and I think that's oh oh, oh you know what, um, I saw. This thing on uh, Disney Plus called Alaskan, oh shoot, Alaska Daily, Alaska Daily, and it had Hillary Swank on it. And I'm like, oh, she has a TV show on uh, Disney Plus. So I blindly I put on the first episode, and it is a story about uh, a New York reporter that goes to Anchorage, Alaska, to look into the missing and murders of the um, native women. And and I guess that was a, I guess that was a, a big story uh, uh, a couple years ago about the fact that they're uh, missing and uh, crimes against Native women weren't being reported or, or investigated, and how they blew the lid off this whole thing that was happening in Alaska. So it's a uh, it's I'm three episodes in. They're releasing them once a week, so that's all I've seen. But it looks yeah. very interesting. Uh, and it made me think of you because you're the only person that I know that has ever that goes to Alaska freak, uh, at least once a year, specifically to Anchorage. I'm not. Uh, I'm not the one killing the native women. <laughs> Just so we're clear. <laughs> you set up. You set up a whole thing. I feel like I have to clarify that. You're like, gosh, you go there regularly, don't you? Weird, unexplained. We went from pop culture to crime. Crime culture. <laughs> to a crime pod- podcast. I'm just saying, <laughs> Gabe. Old. I'm just saying, Gabe. They've never reported a crime while you were in Vegas. This is the classic. <laughs> I, feel like I feel like they have, though. This is the classic. I've never seen Bruce Wayne and Batman in the same room together. <laughs> Speaking of which, did you guys hear the announcement that his family made that he's finally. Uh, yeah, dementia. Dementia. That's crazy, yeah. right? Yeah. You think that's why he made all those movies? <laughs> right? He did the same movie over and over again. They're just like, here's here's a script. He's like, wow, this is new. Groundbreaking. Yeah, no, I watched I... his movie Apex. I think and he... it was just clips of him running. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. They kept trying he to have him read for... lines and he just ran away from them. They're just like, all right. Yeah, he did nothing in the movie. It just sold the other characters. It was like, oh, they got me. Fucking timeshare in Florida. <laughs> I thought it's like, you... what, uh, it's like what Seagal does now. I oh, thought... man, that guy's just a big joke. That guy used to be my hero back in the days. All right, right. Top three Seagal yeah. movies. Ooh, Above the Law, Mark for Death, 
out for justice. What did I tell you, Gabe? It's the only three. Well, well we all give under siege. Um, we all give under siege that that pass too. Well, under siege, I liked, but I like Tommy Lee Jones in that one. I think he played well. He played good in there, but his character was the same one he did Two Face in Batman. <laughs> So look, under siege, I only remember Seagull, and I remember the the girl jumping out of the uh, cake. Yes, <laughs> That's the, the topless girl jumping out of the cake. Always That's, memorable. Yes, I I forgot Tommy Lee Jones was a bad guy in that one. Yeah, I didn't even know he was in it. But Gabe, have you seen under yeah, siege? Uh, and Gary Busey. Uh, no. Gary Busey, he was in it too. Yeah, I remember he was the one that betrayed Seagal and the whole ship, sold the secrets. He seems like he'd do that. <laughs> well, no, we, he doesn't. Me and, my, me and my sister still make a running joke on that one because in the movie he dresses up like a lady. And he's like, we're going to go see the captain now. <laughs> so now whenever we're we're drunk, we say that line. We are at time. Thank you again for listening. Uh, Ray, thank you for visiting us um again i think it took so long and i i apologize for that but um but i think that we have to do this again when kickboxer comes around and that should give you enough time to watch kickboxer because we could talk about that movie for actually you know what i'm thinking now that i say that what if we did a van damme episode the three of us and we just go through every van damme film that he's done Hmm? and we call it that damn episode I'm with it. Okay, I'll so, clear my calendar for that one. All right. Uh, yeah. Look, Gabe, uh, Gabe, and Ray. Thank you, guys. Like I said, uh, this was awesome. 